And right now we're going to pray that God would speak to us from his word. That's what we want, isn't it? We want to hear from God. If God inspired this Bible, if God inspired these words, and if God's spirit resides in your heart, he wants to speak to you. Let's ask him to do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your work. We thank you for the way that you stepped into our life and gave us not only the gospel, but your very life. And Lord, you've given us people who have done that with us. Oh, some more than others. Some have given us more, but all have given some. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you give us hearts to hear and eyes to see today. Lord, when you were on earth, that's exactly what you said you would do. You would speak. And those who had eyes to see could see. And those who had ears to hear could hear. So, Father, we come to you now with ears to hear your spirit. Speak to us today of your love, of your commitment to us, and of your great dominance over all the world. Lord, we would give you the praise for it. We lift up our brother Ron and Cindy and his family. Father, I pray tomorrow would be just exactly as smooth as we expect it to be. I pray this would be a great success, but more important than that, I know Ron's heart is that you be glorified. So, Lord, do, continue to do that through him. Thank you for your will, Lord. Thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, turn with me to the Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be uh, continuing with our series through Ephesians. We've worked through the first three chapters. We're getting ready to go to chapter 4. And um, I just want to point out something to us as, as we think about moms and we, today, and that's, that's on our minds. I, w- I want to show you something that's kind of neat about the book of Ephesians. Okay? We'll be in chapter 3 in just a couple seconds. But let me just do kind of an advertisement for you reading the book of Ephesians. Ephesians walks through spiritual growth. It's really an amazing thing to see happen as you go through the six chapters of Ephesians. It reminds me of a, of a growing child. Do you remember when you were teaching your children to walk? It was always fun, wasn't it? We did that four times with ours. Saw them, you know, in your arms, all that kind of stuff, to now they tower over me. But remember those early days when you were trying to get them to walk? I remember, I don't know why, it's in my mind's eye, my child is in the living room, they got on just the diaper, you know, no shirt, no pants. I just, my kids ran around, like, ran around like that, I guess, for a couple years. because That's how they always are in my mind's eye. And there they are, like at the end table, okay? They got their big old fat bottom sticking out, you know, and they're trying their best to, to sort of stand, and they're, and they're kind of rocking to the beat with no music, but they're moving. And then they would let go a little bit, and they would fall down and hold. So cute. And you'd pull them out a little bit, you know, and, and dad would be there, come on, come on. And they'd start that wobble, okay, those stiff legs, and they, they'd come towards you. But now I flash forward 15, 16 years. I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a foot race with any of my kids. They'd all make me look like an old fat man, you know. They've learned to run. They've learned to jump. That's what happens when... When everything works as it should, it's sad when it doesn't happen, breaks our heart, but when everything works as it should, they go from that stumbling little child rocking on the side of the end table, and they develop into a strong, running, jumping young man, young woman. The same thing spiritually is depicted in the book of Ephesians. 
Just, just walk through it, because it's pretty neat to see. In Ephesians 2.1, believers are dead. They're dead. Well, I'm sorry. People are dead. They're not even believers yet. Humans dead in their trespasses. Start out dead. Move down a little further. 2.5, God does work, and they're made alive. So we progress here from death to life. And it doesn't end there. You go a little further, look at 2.6, and now these believers, they're not just alive, but they're raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. What a progress that has happened. Dead to life, raised up, seated with Christ. That is your heritage if you are in Jesus today. You and I were stillborn. We were born dead. Our inner man dead. Our man, the, the inner being of who we are, unresponsive to spiritual things. It was almost like we had this armor shield around us that spiritual truth cannot penetrate. Bing! It just bounces off, off our dead shell of a man, and we cannot respond to any truth. So God makes us alive, raises us up, and seats us beside of Christ. And then you go a little further, go to chapter 4. Look what happens here at verse number 1. It's remarkable. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to do what? To walk. To walk. In a manner worthy of the calling. Now in chapter 4, this transformation continues to grow. We were dead, made alive, raised, seated, now walking. Now walking in a manner that is worthy. Chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2. And walk in love. See what's happening now? This believer who was dead before he came to Christ is now walking in love like God. He's imitating God. Look down at verse number 15. Learn carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. So now this this believer is walking, walking as an imitator of God and walking wisely. What progression God is offering us. Dead, made alive, now walking. But it doesn't end there. Paul is definitely trying to use this illustration of a person who's who's growing in their strength. We go to chapter 6. Notice what happens now. Look at verse number 10. Finally, chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. Paul's gone from dead to alive to walking, walking imitating God, walking in love, walking wisely, now strong in Christ. So strong that it says in verse number 12 that we can wrestle now. Not against flesh and blood, no, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. This is evil spiritual forces. Wrestling went from dead to alive, to walking, developed our walking, to now strong, wrestling, and then where it goes in verse number 14. 
Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes are ready for action in all circumstances as we stand, taking up the shield of faith. God does not want us to remain an infant. That is not his desire. God doesn't want you to be stuck at toddler level. God is calling for you to grow in your relationship with him. But I ask you, have you ever done that? I mean, truthfully, have you asked God, not for a new car or to get yourself out of debt or to you know, save your marriage or find your child. No, 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 no. Those things are fine. But I, I'm talking more personal now in your own life. Have you ever truly asked God, God, I want to grow in you. I want to mature in you. Listen, Jesus was clear. You ask him that kind of request. You seek him in that way and he will answer. This is his way. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. In context, that's not that car. It's not a house. It's not a race. It's him. It's him. It's the most important thing in all the world. You ask for him and he answers yes. He does respond when we come to him saying, God, I want you. I've had enough of what the world has to offer me. I'm the prodigal son who ate at the sewer pit for long enough. And now I want you. I want you. Now the amazing thing and the cool thing that as I read through Ephesians over and over and over, just try to get the flow of it. It's, it's one of the things I do to prepare to share from a book like this is just read it multiple times from beginning to end. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Just take a book of the Bible and just read it over and over and over and over. You say, well, I've already read it. I know. But God's spirit would just continue to pull you into it. And here's the thing I see that just is so remarkable. So you have this two, you have this chapter two, this, this dead made alive. And in chapter four, five, and six, you got walking and standing and wrestling and strength. But you got this gap between the two. From chapter two, dead made alive, to chapter four, walking, walking, walking. You got this gap. We call that gap chapter three. But it's more than a chapter heading. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. The, all of chapter 3 is a prayer. It's the Apostle Paul praying. Praying out, calling out to God. That the people that he loves, that he's investing in, would have more than knowledge. You see, in chapter 1, he prayed they would have knowledge. You can see it there, okay? You can find in verses 16 through 18 that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened and they would know what they have in Christ. He prays they would have knowledge. But in chapter 3, now he's praying that they have experience. They have experience. I've had many unsuccessful coaching experiences. I mean, I've coached so many losing teams. It's amazing. 
And here's the thing I find over the years, okay? So I'm probably, you're probably not going to reach out to me to coach your soccer team or any of those. You, you don't want me as your coach, okay? Not if you want to win. Now, if you want your boys or girls to grow, I, I can help them grow, but I don't win games. I'm sorry. All my previous players, sorry, forgive me. But here's something I've learned. You don't figure out how good you are till you're on that field. Every team that I've coached with those losing records, man, up to the first game, we were convinced we were the best team to ever take the field. You group of 12-year-old girls are the very best to ever play the game. And they're all like, yay. They get beat 35 nothing the next day. You know, just, here's what it is. Knowledge is fine. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. You were there, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's right. Here's one of those players. Nothing wrong with knowledge. But until it's tried, until it's experienced, it's only theoretical. And many of us, our relationship with God is simply that. It's theoretical. See what Paul has to say. Chapter 3, I'm going to read at verse number 14. If you remember from last week, he started to pray in verse number one, and then he got distracted in chapter, in verse number two. This is of chapter three. He got distracted and had this whole like parenthetical statement, okay? But in verse 14, he gets back to his prayer. So let's see Paul's prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's prayer. And I tell you, it models to us a couple things. It models to us a few things that I, that, that I want to start with before we really start to pick it apart. I, I want us to see at least two things here that are, that are essential for us. Okay? I, I want us to see that the strength that he's desiring to have... Okay, Paul is praying for this strength that to be empowered by the Spirit. I want us to see two things before I even get into the message. First of all, we must pray for those that we long to see grow. For not, not grow physically. Who cares about that? Not develop as a better human. Whatever. That happens. But to grow strong in Christ, we've got to pray for people that that would happen in their life. Do you pray for those you love? Are you pleading that they would grow in Christ? I'm convicted even saying that. But it is a reality that we must pray for those that God has given us stewardship over. 
Now, prayer is not some magic bullet. It's not some rabbit's foot that you rub and then God is obligated to act. No. And that leads to my second point that I just want to make here quickly. This kind of spiritual growth that we long to see happen in our own life and in those that we have, we have stewardship over, it only happens by God. How interesting to us to see that the great apostle Paul, the disciple genius that he is, the one that we are here worshiping because God used him to spread the church over the planet, literally. Paul went hundreds of miles making disciples. And the impact of his life can, is, only, is only shadowed by the Lord Jesus himself. What the God did through the apostle Paul is amazing. But he himself, in, in all of his magnificence, in all of his power, in all of his strength, knew he was hopeless without God. If Paul was that recklessly needing God. What does that say about us? What does that say about me? It saddens me, those. I'm saddened over those that, that I think truly, they think they want to grow in Christ. They think that they want to develop spiritually and, and, to, and to have that kind of intimacy with God that they hear other people talk about but they approach it in their own strength. They, they really, they just try to try harder. They just try to be better. They just try to, to, to just put more effort to it, to, to give themselves stronger rules, to set to themselves more alarms, to, to you know, read through the Bible faster, to pray longer, to, to do more, to... And it's completely abandoned of God. There's no, there's no desire to have God work. The longer I walk with Christ and the more he matures me, the more I recognize this truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I recognize I am nothing but a poor, blind beggar saying, God, work in my heart. There's a quote on your worship notes. I believe it made it there. If you're not growing, if you're not experiencing that kind of spiritual maturity, maybe you're not really seeking it. Maybe you're not really seeking it. We can lie to ourselves. We can deceive ourselves and nothing sadder than self-deception. If you're not growing spiritually, maybe you're not seeking it. Now let's see what Paul calls us to. First of all, in verse 16, he says he's praying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, what we're going to see here is that, that God is going to call us to be empowered by his spirit for a few things. But we have to see where this activity happens. It happens in our inner being. It happens in my inner man, your translation may say. And it's the spirit of God working in your inner man. Romans 8 9. Let's turn here. Keep your finger there and go to Romans chapter 8. Verse number nine. See what it says here about our inner man and his relationship with the Spirit. Romans 8, 9. 
Romans is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and you should read it. But you definitely should spend some time in Romans 8. Arguably the the key chapter of the whole New Testament. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see what we see here? Even back in Ephesians, we see that if there's no spirit, if the inner man is not being affected by the spirit, if the Holy Spirit is not working in your inner man, you have reason to doubt if the spirit of God is even there. And if the Spirit of God is not there, you are not in Christ. I realize that those may be harsh words, but they're straight out of the Bible. It is the Spirit of God working in our inner man that is the greatest affirmation of your faith. I know people often worry and are anxious and even fret over, am I a believer? Am I a believer in Christ? The greatest indication that God has made you a new creature is the Spirit of God revealing that in your life. You will never be perfect. If you're looking for perfection, you're going to always be disappointed. It will never be there till you're with Jesus. But the mark of the Spirit in our life is him working and him battling in our life. If there is no battle, there is no spirit. Is the battle there? Is the battle there? Does repentance come where you say, oh God, I hate this sin just like you. I hate my selfishness just like you. Oh God, take it away. Take it away. The only hope we have is the Spirit of God working. And He only comes when those have put their trust in Christ. So, what's the Spirit going to do? Back in Ephesians chapter 3, you can turn back there. There's going to be three things, three things that we see here that Spirit of, the Spirit of God does in our life. Three things. And you can find them right here. You can see them, okay? And they, they build around a word. Okay, and it's the word that. It's the word that. Now, in the, in the Greek, this isn't that important. But in the Greek, it's a very strong statement, this word that. And it means this is the aim. Paul's praying that the Spirit would work. Okay? See, he says there in verse number 16, he's praying that according to the riches of glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your, in your inner being, so that this is the aim. Here comes the aim. You're going to see three things that the Spirit of God is aiming at. Okay? This is what God's Spirit wants to do in your life. And they all revolve around your intimacy with God. Your connection with God. And the first one is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, at first glance, you might think that means salvation, but it does not mean salvation. 
It does not mean salvation. You see, here's why we think that. Let me tell you why we think that. Because we use an expression that's not in the Bible. We say this all the time. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your heart? I challenge you. Find that in the Bible. Invite Jesus into your heart. I know a man who grew up far from religious, I'm sorry, from Christian truth. In a very religious environment, but far from Christian truth. And somewhere along the way, he heard that he had to receive Christ into his heart. So with, with, all, with, with all of his desire to do this thing, he had a, a, a tattoo of Jesus right here in his heart. In his testimony, he talks about he was just, it's all, it's all that he knew to do. He, he wanted Jesus, and that's the only way he knew how to do that was to have Jesus' picture tattooed on his heart. My first thought is, how special that is. How, how, how moving that is to see that kind of desire. But that's quickly followed up with sorrow. Praise God, this guy found truth. See, this is not saying get saved. Paul's already dealt with the fact that he's talking to believers. That's not what this means. That word dwell, let's talk about that for just a minute. There's a Greek scholar named Weist, W-U-E-S-T. You should find anything he writes and own it. He's dead now, but he writes greatly about about the language of the Bible. Here's Here's how he translates this verse. He says, this verse, the better translation of this verse would be, that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your heart. That word dwell means an at-home feeling. That's what it means. That means your house in an hour. That means that your house in the living room, your, your, your shoes are off, your socks are off, you've taken off your shirt, you're there in your t-shirt, Okay, probably in a, maybe a pair of sweatpants or something. You're laying there on your couch. You're laying back. Maybe the TV's on, the radio's on. The kids are there sitting at your feet. The dog's in your lap. You're eating a cookie, waiting for your wife to make dinner. You're at home. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? I'd like to be there. Let's just wrap up right now and go home. See, what he's saying here is that's what the Spirit of God desires to do. That Christ would be at home in your life. This is not a religious experience. We come to one out of 168 hours. Get all dressed up, cleaned up, come here and sit down, have somebody talk at you for 40 minutes. This is not the goal. You have not reached the climax. This is not the moment you've been waiting for all week. Christ desires to be present in your life, at home, with you. That's what that word means. It's what the Spirit of God does in our life. That I'm completely at home with him. There is no, you know, somebody comes to your house. Okay, somebody comes to your house. They're walking around. Oh, where's the bathroom? It's the first door on the left. Second door on the left. No, don't go through that door. You got one of those, one of those rooms at your house? Where you're scared to death? Somebody's going to open up the door and look in there? And fall under tennis rackets and balls and everything else? This word, dwell, it means come into my life. Go check out any room 
you got complete refrigerator rights. Just go in there and get something. You're thirsty? Get something on your own, man. This is your house too. Go get it. I shouldn't have to serve you. Get up and get something to drink. It's what Christ desires to have with you. You can have it with him. The only reason you don't have it is because of you. Let that sit. The problem isn't him. The problem is you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you guilty sinners. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James chapter 4, verse number 8. This is what he desires. That's the first thing. The second thing is coming at you in verse number 17, and you can see it there. It's after that word, that. So this is the second aim of what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life. First one is at home with Christ. Second one is that we would understand the commitment of Christ to you. The commitment. That you being rooted, that's like a tree, okay? Rooted like a tree, Psalm 1 tree. And grounded, that is the word for the foundation of a building, okay? So we've got two parallel illustrations communicating the same truth. That we've got this, we've got this thing that we're building on. Everything rests upon it. Either a tree resting on its roots, roots that is, or a house resting on its foundation, okay? That we would have this firm foundation we are on. And let's see what it is. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Love. That you may have strength now, but we got to keep reading. What does God want us to have strength towards? It's not strong arms or strong legs. See what it is. Strength to comprehend with all the saints. So this is not some special person. This is everybody. To comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth, length, height, depth, and knowledge of the love of Christ? Second aim of the Spirit of God is that you would grasp how much Christ loves you. How much he loves you. Now, not pitter-patter, oh, there she is. Not that. It's a committed love. Agape love is what this word is. This is the kind of love that dives in front of a bullet to protect. This is the kind of love that runs out into the car to to get it for your wife. She doesn't have to get all wet and you drive up to the front door and let her get in. This is the kind of love that reaches into your pocket and says, come here, son, I know you need some money here. You can have whatever I have is yours. This is a kind of love that says to sinful people, I'll die for you. God's spirit wants you to understand his love for you. And it's pretty cool what what God's spirit does. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. What is God trying to say? I think really what, what he's really saying is there, this is limitless. There is no limit to this love. I mean, I've just been thinking about this, and I came across this, this concept, and it, 
It spoke to my heart. Here's what it is. Wide enough for everybody, the breadth of God's love. Long enough to last forever, his love. No sin that you will ever commit will break his love for you. High enough to cover all of your sin and deep enough to go to the pit where we often find ourselves. God loves you. I want you to notice one other thing. I'm coming to realize as I read about God and I understand who he is, I want you to know something. We, we need to say this in our culture, in our language. Not only does God love you, I want you to know he likes you. He likes you. He sacrificed himself for you because he wants to have a relationship with you. That's his love. The Spirit of God wants you to grasp that. And then finally, one more. That you may be filled, this is the third aim, with all the fullness of God. Now that's kind of a weird expression. It's the same word. That you be filled with the fullness of God. I'll tell you the best way you can think of this word, this word fullness, the best way you can think of what this word means, it means to be dominated. To be dominated is what it means. Illustration. A man filled with rage is dominated by his anger, right? A man filled with sexual lust or a woman, dominated by that. A person filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, is dominated by the Spirit. God desires you to be dominated by Him. To be filled with all fullness of Him. So he doesn't want a lot of you. He doesn't want most of you. He wants all. And this is what the Spirit is doing in your life. It's great to be loved. It's great to be loved. Let's close my time down with the passage in 1 John. You'd be wise to turn there. Go to the right of ways. 1 John. Chapter 4. Be reminded of God's love and see where it went and see what it offers. I'm at 1 John chapter 4. I'll just read a couple of verses here. Verse number 7 starts out with beloved. Literally, that means loved ones of God. You who are loved by God, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God, here it comes, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That means we got to see it, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, no. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. It's God's aim in your life. That's God's aim. God's spirit wants to work in your life. He wants you to be at home with Jesus. It's not weird. Eh, maybe it is. Get over it. He wants you to be at home with Christ. Come on in. Come on in. Refrigerator is yours. He wants you to understand his commitment to you. His commitment to you. Breath. Length, height, depth. And he wants you to allow him to dominate all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your work in our life. Father, you're so good to us. Now, Lord, as we worship you as a body now together, be pleased. Lord, let us reflect upon your grace. Let us be moved by your spirit. Lord, let us see who you are. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.